So 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. He may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So, you know, we, we've had an intense four weeks looking at chapter 15, dealing with the resurrection. Now, Paul concludes his letter just taking care of some business. And one of the things he talks about is an offering um, that he is taking up for the church in Jerusalem. Now, in 2 Corinthians, he spends a lot more time on that offering. It, it, but may get passed by for a lot of people. And it's kind of subtle through the New Testament, both in Acts and the letters of Paul. There is this prolonged need to help the church in Jerusalem that is basically impoverished. And you see that in several places in Acts and several of the letters that Paul is taking this offering. And a large part of the end of the book of Acts, kind of the reason some things happen is because Paul is, is dealing with this. The church in Jerusalem um, could be because so early in its life, so many of the members sold and gave up so much stuff to help fund Christianity that they became impoverished. It may be just because Jerusalem was a little bit poorer anyways, probably because the Jews that were there um, lost, um, lost the ability to do business because they were, they were persecuted by the other Jews, and so their businesses collapsed. And there were a variety of reasons that that happened. And so what you see is this offering. Now, let me just, I'm going to spend a few moments talking about, about the church and how it functioned. One of the things that you see here in chapter 16, is that they began to meet the first day of the week on Sunday. So by, by the mid-50s, uh, it says on the first day of the week when you meet. So we can understand that if Paul is affirming the meeting on the first day of the week to worship, it is okay to worship on the first day of the week. That isn't the Sabbath. Now, I, I, I always try to remind us, Every week we break one of the Ten Commandments. Anyone ever says, I've never broken the Ten Commandments? Well, so you go to church on Sunday, you break the one about keeping the Sabbath. That's why the Ten Commandments are not the rule of law for the church, for the Christian. I hear that all the time. Well, we're obligated to keep the Ten Commandments. No, we keep them because they're right in what they teach and that it reflects who God is. And we honor God by keeping them. And one of them, at least, we only keep in spirit. And that's, that's the day of, the, the, we all break the Sabbath. The Sabbath is sundown to sundown for Saturday, Friday night, Saturday night. You don't, you, you don't baptize it and say, well, now the Sabbath is Sunday. It's not Sunday. You're just making that up. Now, that, that's okay. But it's a reminder. I remember when uh, I was first starting off in ministry, and, we, and there were churches that were talking about having uh, church on Saturday night and how, People were just appalled. You can't have church on Saturday night. You got to have church on Sunday. That's the Sabbath. And I thought, how odd that Christians think it's sinful to have church on the Sabbath. Maybe the day you have church is it as important as having church, especially when one of the things we Baptists did is we had Wednesday night prayer meeting. It wasn't a church's prayer meeting, though in a lot of churches they had worship, they had music and, and, and preaching. 
And some people, that's the only time they could come. Well, also, this is just a completely different side note, but I'm just going to do it. I always found it odd that we Baptists get so bent out of shape over people not being able to go to church on Sunday or not going to church on Sunday or going on Saturday, yet we always expected the restaurants to be open so we could go there when church was over. (laughs) Do you wonder why sometimes people want nothing to do with the church? Seriously. Do you not know just the dumb things that we did? I did growing up with all this. My goodness. Well, so what he had, they met, and, and he talks about taking up an offering. Now, this, this is not the tithe. And so let me just say this. I believe strongly in tithing. But tithing is not because it's taught in the New Testament. It is taught in the Old Testament. And people say, well, that's the law, David. And you always say, you don't follow the law. But Jesus affirmed that that way of giving he talked about it. he never they never corrected it but what you see in the new testament and this is more important i think is you see the concept of generosity and i would simply argue that generosity begins with tithing now i don't get on to people who don't tithe I, I, not at all i expect it of my staff and deacons and people who sit on standing committees i expect it Close to demanded. If I, you know, if, if, you know, when, we, when we vet people for committees, we look. I don't. I don't ever look at what people give. But there's somebody who looks to make sure. We don't know exactly what they're tithing. But we want to know. They better do something. Five bucks every two months isn't going to cut it. And I say that because there's an expectation that we have of generosity. How in the world can you expect us to trust you with decisions made in the church if you don't trust God with what you have? But also that generosity goes beyond keeping the letter of the law and giving that exactly 10% to giving a generous in spirit. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. And you see certain principles that come out. These principles are helpful to us. So he says, set aside money as one may prosper. Now understand, most of the people back then didn't prosper. So that's kind of a loose term. But Corinth was actually one of the more better off churches. So basically he talks about the proportionality of it, which is what tithing is. Some have more money than others. Set aside whatever. And the purpose of this is a gift. And that gift is going to go to Jerusalem to help them. And Paul also talks about the fact that he says, when I arrive in verse 3, whomever you may approve, I will send them letters to carry your gift. In other words, he says, I won't take it. I won't handle the money. But you have someone. And I'll send a letter of commendation. If it's fitting for me to go, then I'll go and they'll come with me, but they'll have the money. So notice he's very concerned and careful about as, as the leader of a movement organization and not being the one that also handles all the finances. So what you basically you see here, this is just pretty good principles. It's, it's not law. It's not things that I'm going to get up and preach. You have to do all this. But you see, A, you know, set aside a day to worship. According to the way God has blessed you, set aside some money. Not only do you give to the church, but give to the special causes. And um, be sure there's accountability on the church's part in giving. And those things are important. And I try to implement that in our own life. Not only do Debbie and I, you know, I say quite often, we give well more than 10% of our income to the church. We give money to other organizations. Uh, they're, They're all Christians, organizations mostly, I think. Well, the one that deals with dogs and cats, those organizations, I don't think, are necessarily Christian I guess maybe they are. I guess there's some Christian organizations for dogs and cats. Uh, I have nothing to do with that. That's one that Debbie just gives to. Um, But, you know, we try to practice that. We try to practice generosity in our life. 
um, when we go to restaurants, especially with all the stuff going on. People kind of know who I am, tend to, tend to know who I am. I go to the same restaurants a lot. So when I tip, I try to be generous. Uh, today, David and I went to lunch, and, uh, you know, I tried to be generous. And, and, and so I'm just saying, at some point along the way, however you work with money, be generous. It's okay to do that. We'll go on. We'll go faster. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. So he, he's, he's in Ephesus. He's going to go up through Macedonia. If you need to know where that is, just get a map. Um, and perhaps I will stay with you and even spend the winter so that I may, so you, know, you may send me on my way where I'm ready to go. So he says, I might spend time with you. Yeah. Then say he would. I don't, uh, for I do not wish to see now just in passing. I hope uh, to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits but I'll remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. So it gives us an idea of what Paul's doing. And Paul spent about three years um, or so in, in Ephesus. It's an important part of him. And so you see his travel plans. Notice about Paul. Paul is always thinking strategically. He's always thinking, we got to go here. We got this. We got that. One of the things we talk about quite often in our church, in our staff, is uh, we do things with excellence and with intentionality. We're intentional in what we do. We are strategic in what we do. Now, I want to tell you this, just so you understand, it's a sound biblical principle. Sometimes, some of you have come up with some things and ideas you'd like to do, and they're really good ideas. And other churches and people do them, and that is fantastic. It just doesn't fit for us. It doesn't mean that I don't think it's a good idea. It just means from an intentionality standpoint, we're probably not going to do it. Uh, in fact, lots of times what we do uh, is we support other ministries, and especially within the Baptist world. We, when I got here, the church supported all sorts of things in the community that weren't Christian in nature, and we kind of stopped that. But for instance, we support the food ministry at East Mesa down the road. So if someone says, why don't we do a food ministry, it's because we're, they do it better than us, because we don't do it. <laughs> That's how they do it better than us, and we support them. We have a good example tomorrow, and if you want to do this, you can. Josh is taking a group to the El Paso uh, Baptist Association has a mi migrant center to help, steals with, help deal with uh, some of the people that are coming into the country uh, from south of the border, uh, from all sorts of places. And I've, I've been approached a couple of times, like, what are we going to do as a church about all this situation? And I said, well, what we do is we financially support the El Paso Association's work in that area. And now we're with manpower supporting it because... Our association isn't doing it. For us to figure it out, it's going to take a huge amount of time, effort, and energy. And the El Paso Association actually handles the Las Cruces aspect of it. In other words, what they're doing, they're doing it for our area as well. So we support them. By the way, if you want to go, I think they're leaving here at 9 o'clock tomorrow. Is that right, guys? And they'll be back around, I think, 2 or 3. They're going to work there for a couple hours. But what I'm saying is we do things from a strategic standpoint. Churches need to be that way. Part of what hurts churches is they just, they just do anything and everything. It's the old idea. Oh, there's Josh. I should have asked you. I didn't see you. Josh, leave at 9 tomorrow? Yeah. Okay. I'm an official. Is it okay for people to go with you or not? <laughs> of course he's going to say yes. And if you have questions, Josh is over there. Josh is the youngest of the people over there, in case you want to know. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. It's subtle. Um. Is, are you the youngest? Okay, I just wasn't sure. I'll double check. 
But part of, part of church life too often is we think, well, if you love Jesus, you'll just do whatever you can. And, and so you end up doing nothing. And it just doesn't work that way. You, 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 you've got to think what, it, what you're doing. And this is what Paul, Paul says, I got a strategy. It didn't mean he, he followed it perfectly, but he, he knew where he was going. Look what he says in verse 9. For a wide door of effective service has been opened to me. That there are many adversaries. He says, I, I have a great opportunity where I am at Ephesus to serve. So I'm staying here a while. Oh, but he had so many adversaries. You want to know about all the adversaries? Go to the book of Acts. Read what happened starting in, I think, chapter 18. And then go to the book of Ephesians. And you'll get a good idea of what he dealt with. But he had an opportunity because of the way he functioned and did things. And he takes advantage of that. In your Christian walk, by the way, be intentional. Study the Bible intentionally. I read a story about a guy today. Famous, famous person. Gets up, came to know the Lord a while back. Gets up at 5 o'clock every morning. Reads several chapters of the Bible. Right now he's like on his 12th reading through since he became a believer. Prays till 6 o'clock. Usually goes to bed by 11. Before he goes to bed, he spends time in prayer. Seeking the Lord's guidance. Started numerous ministries in the, in the uh, Phoenix area. That guy is Alice Cooper. He goes to Camelback, I think Camelback Baptist Church in uh, Phoenix. <laughs> he's strategic in the way he spends his time with the Lord. You might think he's got a lot of catching up to do, <laughs> but that's okay. I read a story about him a long time ago that when his kid, was, he was a great family man. His, that was a stage persona that he had. He was a great family man. So when his kid was in middle school, they did how the Grinch stole Christmas. He was the Grinch. <laughs> Can you imagine your students having Alice Cooper's the Grinch? Some of you don't know who Alice Cooper is. It's a he. <laughs> Phenomenal musician. Now, let's read this in verse 10. Now, if Timothy comes, see to it, or see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Timothy was a godly man, one of Paul's closest associates. And the, the impression is, throughout the, the discussions of Timothy in Corinthians, and then uh, in Acts, and then certainly in First and Second Timothy, that Timothy may have been a bit timid. And, and, and maybe he wasn't, look, Next to Paul, anybody's timid. Sometimes, just when you get a chance, just do a, a kind of a study of the different people that you don't think of and, and who's in Scripture. I, in fact, we'll see Priscilla and Aquila in a minute, and I did a, a sermon series on them oh, several years ago. Timothy, Timothy had Paul's deepest trust. He trusted Timothy. He sent Timothy to Ephesus. Do you know what he's... When you read First Timothy... He went to Ephesus because Ephesus was messed up. The, the overseers, the pastors, and the deacons messed that up. Do you know why we have qualifications and scriptures for overseers and deacons? In Timothy and then in Titus, for, for pastors and Titus, not, not the deacons. It's because they mess things up. That's why. He sent young Timothy to fix it. And so, yeah, he had to give him some encouragement. It's not easy. Listen, it's not easy today to fix the problems created by pastors and deacons. 
And it wasn't easy back then. And so you have this godly man who was, he was kind of the, the fixing guy. He was also the guy at the end of 2 Timothy when Paul's about to die. He said, Timothy, come see me. Bring Mark. Luke's here. I need you three guys to be with me at the end. Amazing guy. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. It was not at his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Apollos is mentioned earlier in uh, the first chapter. He was, by the, by the looks of it, he was this guy who came out of the Greek culture. He was an unbelievable speaker. Um, Priscilla and Aquila discipled him and, and, and helped him become stronger in the faith. Some think that Paul and Apollos may have had differences. All indications are Paul hugely supported Apollos, but he wasn't one of Paul's guys, but Paul hugely supported him. He wanted him to come back to Corinth. He wasn't ready, but he might when he can. I love verse 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, pay attention. Be firm in the faith, steadfast. When it says act like men and be strong, he's talking about the character that you need to have. Because he's talking, there's women reading this also. But, but he's saying there's a character that's expected, not be macho, uh, which some people take wrongly. Have the character of a Christian believer. Be strong in the Lord. And I love the verse 14. But everything has to be done in love. Sometimes you need to ask yourself, what does love look like? You know, I don't know if you ever have people that's difficult to deal with. I do from time to time. And, uh, and sometimes I have to remind myself when dealing with them. I don't, I don't say, what would Jesus do? Because that's, I, you can't know what Jesus, you're not going to be Jesus. Jesus wouldn't be in that predicament. Sometimes we say, what would Jesus do? Well, first of all, Jesus wouldn't be in that predicament. So that's kind of an irrelevant question. So I, I, I kind of say, what is love going to look like right now, Lord? What will love look like? Boy, I don't always like to ask that question. Because I don't always like to answer. Because love don't look like me a lot of the time. Remember, the church of Corinth is going to deal with a lot of problems. Remember, there's all that turmoil in the church. All that division. Paul saying, do everything out of love. He already brought a chapter on that. And all those folks at Corinth need to say, what in the world does love look like? You know, we live in a tumultuous world, don't we? And sometimes we've got to ask ourselves, especially with dealing with people who aren't followers of Jesus. As I interact with that non-believer, what does love look like? Understanding you've got to be consistent in following the word of God, you've got to adhere to certain moral standards and principles. I, yeah. So with that in mind, what does love look like? Sometimes love can be pretty firm. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. So let me talk about um, Achaia. Some pronounce it Achaia. Some have pronounced it Achaiyash or Achaiyai or I've heard different things. So I'm going to just give you, I've told you before, let me help you. When you have Greek or Hebrew words, pronounce it however you want. 
No one cares. They're all dead. They're not going to be offended. So what's interesting in Greek is there is biblical Greek and classical Greek. And sometimes when people argue with me and I'll say, well, I'll just make stuff up because I love to mess with people's minds. I'll say, well, actually, I follow the hybrid form of the Tübingen school in Germany developed in the early 20th century. You know that one? <laughs> there is a Tubigen school. They didn't have a hybrid Greek. So you just make stuff up. It has, sounds good. I do it all the time. It's just great. So I'm just telling you, I don't care how you pronounce it. Now, some of the other words I care, like, you know, the ones that are in English that are good. Now, he, he, he was devoted to the ministry to the saints. They were some of the first to come to Christ. And he's, he's, he's starting to mention it. They were devoted. Wouldn't he just love? I'm just not for him. Can you imagine being a guy? He didn't, and Stephon just didn't know that 1 Corinthians is going to be 1 Corinthians. Can you imagine, though, just to be mentioned by Paul? In, in a good sense, because some were mentioned in a bad sense. He was a servant. Do you know how many times people are called servant of the Lord? Moses, Joshua. Time after time, you, one, of this, one of the best things you can ever be called is servant of the Lord. Now I hope when my wife die, my wife puts that on my headstone. She won't, but if any of you have any influence. Oh yeah, verse 16. That you also be in subjection to such men and to, do every, uh, and to everyone who helps in the work and labor. So in other words... Once again, the idea, and we see this all throughout Paul's letters, to be subject, to submit to. Ministry, serving, requires being subject. Oh, everybody wants to be in charge. There was a great song. Go, I think it was a country song. Nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. Everybody wants to be the lead singer of the band. Anybody remember that song besides me? Yeah, who remembers that song? Two of us? Three? I'm associated with you two guys. Oh, thank goodness, a normal person remembers. In that way, so much. I remember in my early years in the ministry, you know what the great battle was in the 80s? Who's the authority in the church? Is it the pastor or is it the deacons or whatever? And like, what, a, what an obscenely weird argument because none of us are the authority. The argument should have been, who's responsible for serving the church? But nobody ever argues over that. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and that next guy. Because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, Caiaphas. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore acknowledge this. He's saying they've been helpful to me. The churches of Asia greet you. Because he's in the province of Asia. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the churches in their home. Now, several years back, I preached about Priscilla and Aquila. And they had been at Rome. They had been in Corinth. I think in Ephesus. And everywhere they go, you know what they did? They had a church in their home. It's fantastic. This is, and this is, this is a couple that kind of, and I thought they fly under the radar because they're mentioned in, in numerous books and in Acts. But this is a bedrock couple in the first century, in the early life of the church. And they were, they were, they, they discipled Apollos, they encouraged, they started churches, or had churches meet in their homes. 
And back then, churches mostly met in homes. And once in a while, they could hold church, could come together, they had to find a big place to go. They just met in people's homes. All the brethren greet you. So greet one another with a holy kiss. By the way, <laughs> we don't do this. And I'm thankful. What I find odd is some of the people who will take parts of the letters Paul write and say it's dogma because Paul said it, don't do this. Obviously, this is a cultural thing. Please don't go up to guests and greet them with a kiss. Please don't ever greet me with a kiss. Unless your last name is Burroughs and you have a ring on your finger. Or my daughter, don't do that. But what I'm saying is, sometimes it's important to know some things are cultural. Now, there are some really critical things that we deal with that are cultural, too. We're, we're kind of joking about this. A lot of times having to do with, with what people's roles in the church, women's roles, other roles, and, and, and things of that nature. Understand, son, I dealt with this throughout the study of Corinthians. Some things are cultural in nature. Understand that. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. He had someone write out before him. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. <laughs> Maranatha, come on, I love that. If you don't love the Lord, he's to be condemned. That's just, that's Paul. You know, I love you. Maranatha, the Lord come. No, by the way, we're stuck in between. If you don't believe in Jesus, basically he's saying you're going to go to hell. Puts that in there. But what it does is reminds us, I think, of what's always on Paul's heart. He, he's concerned always about the church. Hey, look, I love you guys. We're praying for the, we can't wait till the Lord comes. In the meantime, we've got a job to do. And if there are people in your church who, who are not following Jesus, they're in trouble. We've got to take that seriously. You know, we, we, you know in staff, we, we take things seriously in our discussions about, you know, putting people in places to serve and their service. And it, it matters. It matters so much. So notice how he closes. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. In the end, Paul reminded him that what they have is in the grace of Christ. And he says, I love you. He has been hard. He has been tough. But he reminds them that because of Jesus, he loved them. And not to forget that. 1 Corinthians is a phenomenal book. And, and studying it over eight or nine months, I forget some of the things I told you a long time ago. A lot's happened since then. But never forget that what Paul has done in his ministry and what he wrote, he did out of his love for God and his love for people so that people would come to Christ. That's really what he cared about. And I think within the day as a church, our love for God and our love for people has to motivate us into what we do. And what we do has to honor him and help people come to Jesus. So you have one minute if you want to ask any question as it pertains to 1 Corinthians. And if you don't, then you get to go out a minute early, and there's no such thing as a bad thing about letting people out early.